the night where black stars rise and strange moons circle through the skies but stranger still is lost carcosa greetings listener you might notice that introduction is slightly different from our usual ones why well listen on to find out in the meantime this is drawn to the flame a pretty regular podcast all about the game, the obsession that is Arkham Horror, the card game. I'm Frank, and today I'm joined by... Uh, it's me, Peter. Hello, Frank. Hello, Peter. How are you? I'm great. I'm doing really, really well. How about yourself? I'm super excited, which is my normal mode for recording, but particularly excited because our new deluxe expansion is here. The Path to Carcosa is out! seems like it's taken forever. Yeah, it really has been a long road, I think, for this one. (laughs) Naturally, just because we're so excited to to, to crack it open and and play with it. Let's not waste any time. Here's what we're going to do, listener. We're going to do something like my first look episodes, but with Peter, and we're going to just jump straight in and look at some of the different player cards. We won't be spoiling any encounter cards, but if you have not yet seen the player cards and for some reason have got your copy of Path to Carcosa but haven't opened it yet, why not crack it open and listen along with us as we take a look? And to make things a little bit more manageable, we're going to break up our episode so it's not one gigantic episode. And over the next five days, you'll be getting little episodes where we look at each of the factions in turn, what new investigators we've got, what new cards they've got, and just give our first impressions. But today... We're going to start with our first neutral investigator. So this is an interesting one to start with because she was spoiled in the introduction article for Path to Carcosa, wasn't she? Yeah, yeah. So I guess most people have seen her unless they've been avoiding spoilers entirely, which some people are doing. So if you have been avoiding spoilers entirely and you're now getting your spoilers from us or, or your announcement for us... Path to Carcosa doesn't have five investigators in the box. It has six, and one of them is Lola Hayes, the actress, and she's neutral. So this was a bit of a surprise when we saw her her announced, wasn't it? it like, I don't think anyone predicted we would see a neutral investigator at this point. Yeah, and if you just compare the corset and, and Dunwich, it felt like there was a really obvious pattern between the two, the the two classes in corset and then the single class with five splash. And I was thinking, oh, maybe they'll do something different in Carcosa, but I just didn't expect it to be this different. So why don't you read her card to us? Uh, I will indeed. Okay, so what we have is Lola Hayes, and she's the actress. She has, her stats are, she has three willpower. Mm -hmm. She has three intellect. Uh, She only has three combat. But then she does have three agility as well. Very good, yeah. She's a performer and has the ability forced. After you draw your opening hand, choose a role. And that's survivor... I don't remember these on that. Survivor, guardian, seeker, rogue or mystic or neutral. 
you can only play, commit, or trigger abilities on neutral cards or cards of your role. And then she has a free action, which is switch your role. Limit once per round. Then she has an Elder Sign effect, which is plus two. You may switch roles. And she has six health and six sanity. Perhaps this would be her big comeback. Wow. So, like Jenny, even stats across the board, but really low health and sanity. I think only Ashkan Pete has a lower starting pair, and he obviously has Duke. So let's yeah, take yeah. a look at the back then and work out what a neutral deck looks like. I think her her, her deck building options are, are, are going to be key to understanding her. So do yeah. you want to have a read of the other side? Yeah, sure. So her deck size is 35. So our first larger than 30 deck, which is interesting. Her deck building options, Survivor, Guardian, Seeker, Rogue, and Mystic cards, level 0 to 3, and neutral cards, level 0 to 5. So she can take anything up to level 3, and then only neutral cards higher than level 3. Her requirements, which don't count towards her deck sides, are two copies of Improvisation, and two copies of Crisis of Identity, and one random basic weakness. So I'm guessing one of those is her signature asset or signature card and the other is her signature weakness so she's going to end up with a deck size of 40 she's pretty big i mean even with all this sort of story assets and permanent cards that we picked up in dunwich i think the largest one of my decks got to was 38 so yeah pretty large additional requirements though your deck must include at least seven cards each from three different classes and they've just noted that the classes are Survivor, Guardian, Seeker, Rogue, or Mystic. So that's not seven neutrals, and then two, you have to have three different colours as well as grey in your deck. So yeah, this this is an interesting one, isn't it? I think she, she's she's very, she's unique <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, in lots of ways. She can't specialise in any of the factions, but she does bring some flexibility. Now... We we have actually talked briefly about Lola with Matt when we had him on our podcast. Yeah, if you've not listened to that interview or you only listened to the player card bit and didn't listen to the end, right at the end we asked Matt how to build a Lola deck and he gave us some guidance. So definitely check that out. I think it's episode 22. It's almost like she's a super rogue, in my opinion, that she's rogues have this thing about being flexible or being able to turn their... Maybe more thematically than actually in the game. But Lola feels like that, but hyped up even more. So she can really switch between, you know, fighting and then uh, investigating. And I feel like she's probably going to be built into a hole you've got in the party. So if you're with, you know, I guess a mystic and a rogue, you can look more at the finding clues side of it. So build heavily with, you know, the factions you don't have. So... Guardian, Seeker, and Survivor in that case. I, I really like her as well for two-player, because if you take an investigator that's two classes, like, say, Roland, with Guardian and Seeker, then you can say that L- Lola is the other three classes that you don't have covered, and you sort of have access to all of them. It's not a reason why you wouldn't take one investigator over another anyway, but just if you're if you're playing just with one other person, you want to sort of get a sense of all of the player cards, she can fill three different gaps. The other thing to note as well is, so say you really wanted to lean her in one direction, say Seeker, you could take seven rogue cards and seven mystic cards 
and that would be 14 of your 35 card deck. So that leaves 21 cards for your your chosen faction, if I'm getting my maths right. So you could still end up with a fairly specifically one-colour Lola, and there are probably reasons why you might not want to do that. But there is there is a chance that your, your deck isn't sort of a complete rainbow, that you could actually lean in one direction fairly specifically. But then you're never going to be able to pick up those very high-experience cards, like in yeah. Seeker, Deciphered Reality, for instance, or The Strange Solution. Or Cryptic Research, yeah. Yeah, you're never going to be as good as one of the dedicated Seekers at finding clues uh, it, when you get to high, the high experience levels. But, yeah. you know, you can certainly turn your hand towards it. I guess my worry is that her ability seems like a deck-building ability. And my experience with the LCGs is that deck-building abilities tend to be less strong. I think some of it is that I just can't wrap my head around how, how to make her work. Yeah. I just want to make two more observations before we look at her signature cards. The one is that that free-triggered switching of your role, that can even happen. There's a there's a free-trigger window within a skill test before you draw a Chaos token. So you've also got that option to start a skill test in one role. And, well, and there's another, there's another free-trigger window before you commit cards. Switch role to a different role, commit a card from a different role, from a different faction, and then finish the test. So you, there's potential for really exciting shenanigans but since you can only switch role once in a round you can't necessarily do all of that the other thing that just small thing i wanted to say about experience was because she can get to level three she has access to all of the class specific permanent talents yeah that's really good which is not something we've seen out of faction yet is it yeah yeah it's been that only seekers can have higher education and only guardians can have keen eye but lola could have both of those she'd still need to be in this the the relevant role to trigger the abilities on them but you could potentially have her where she can start a scenario and she has say scrapper and higher education in play and she can boost any of her stats or add another (laughs) blood pact and streetwise (laughs) yeah if you want to go that way yeah okay well let's um Let's look at these signature cards of hers. Okay. So, uh, should I do the first one? Please. So, we have Improvisation. So, this is a zero-cost event. It's two wild icons. It has Lola Hayes deck only. Uh, It has Fast, play only during your turn. Uh, Switch your role. Until the end of your turn, reduce the resource cost of the next card you play of your role by three. Draw one card. Wow. Okay. So you've got that free-triggered switching of role, but also if you really want to do a bit more role switching, you can also play one of these and switch your role again. Yeah, I think this this is, ooh, wow. So this is, it's emergency, it's, it's actually, it's better than an upgraded emergency cache. Because you get the role switch, is that? Well, there's the role switch, yeah, but also reduce the, so yeah, it's better than an upgraded emergency cache. So emergency cash would be three resources for one action. Upgraded cash is three resources and a card for one action. This gives you the three resources, assuming you can play something, and draws you a card, but is also fast, so it doesn't cost an action to play. And probably, once we've played Lola, we'll see how often you actually want to be switching role, and it might be that that part of the card is also really valuable for her. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And that's even even better. And of course, it's two wild icons as well. Yeah, which is really useful. And as we know, she can commit neutral cards at any time. She doesn't have to be neutral in roll to commit those cards. So having good neutral cards in her deck to commit is a good thing. I like the idea of in a setup turn, you've looked at your opening hand and seen that you have, say, a burglary and Dr. Milan. So you choose to be rogue and play the burglary first action and then improvise and play Dr. Milan down as your second action, having switched to Seeker. And you're then set up with four intellect and a way of generating resources if you wanted to, for instance. I mean, that's, And that's cost you two to, to put into play. Yeah. And you've exactly. drawn a card. And you've drawn a card, yeah. And you're sort of... you, Given that she's going to have this spread of different... Oh, well, then you could switch back to Rogue to then use the burglary if you wanted to. Yeah, given that she has this spread of different classes or different factions rather within her hand getting everything out quickly enough will probably be a challenge it might take a while for her to develop her board in the way that she wants it to or for her to respond to whatever's going on and yeah anything that allows that quick switch is good i like it it's interesting i wonder if you'll see it in a 40 card deck but (laughs) yeah well this is it i mean there is two in the deck yeah there are two as well so so, that's so you should you should see it more often than you see the one-off weaknesses in a regular deck. Yeah, 2 in 40 rather than 1 in 33, yeah. I think this is really good. I, I, I can see holding on to it as a uh, as an emergency. Yeah, if, if and something I think particularly goes because you can only switch roll once per turn normally, holding on to it for that turn where you really want two rolls is going to be, yeah, really important. Yeah. The other thing is... Reducing the resource cost of the next card you play if you roll by three, it I mean, it doesn't have to be an, an asset that you play as your next card as well. So if you're switching because you then want to play Elusive, say, or switching to play some other event, I'm now struggling to think of think of uh, <laughs> cheap events. I guess you could switch and play Look What I Found or... Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. I've got an even better idea. Switch and play Will to Survive. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. That's level three, isn't it? That's level three, yeah. Yeah, well, all survivor cards, max level is three, so... Oh, there you go, yeah, of course. Well, should we look at her? what I presume is her weakness, then? Yes, again, two copies. So this is a treachery, crisis of identity. It's a weakness, and it's madness-traited. The flavour is, I've played so many roles, madness is to be expected. The art is... I think multiple different Lolas feeling confused. Revelation. Discard all cards you control of your current role. Then discard the top card of your deck. Switch your role to the class of the discarded card. If the discarded card is a weakness, switch your role to neutral. Hmm. Wow, okay. okay. Well, this is pretty bad. So you're, you're playing a Seeker and you've got Milan out. Bye bye Milan. Maybe you've got Milan and a magnifying glass out. Off they go. Does this, does this discard cards from your hand as well? or No, the cards you control are cards in play. Okay. So you keep what's in your hand. But it's it basically wipes from your board whatever of your current role you've put. So if Lola has decided to take the sort of guardian role and you've got down a guard dog and a machete or you know even a, a first aid and a something else, they're just gone cleared out so it it encourages her then to to keep some stuff back 
some uh, either improvisation or some of the the other cards she needs, like weapon cards or whatever. It encourages her, her to keep some of those back, just in case a crisis of identity shows up. Yeah, for sure, and and it encourages her to stay fluid as well. That if your plan, you know, when I suggested the sort of twenty-one cards of one faction and then seven and seven of the other two if your plan is to really build a big mystic setup with a, a shriveling and a rite of seeking and a holy rosary and an arcane initiate and you know basically being a mystic that could just get wiped at any moment and then then you're left with with nothing and you're trying to rebuild so diversifying seems almost built into lola or potentially changing role away from a vulnerable role at the end of your turn if you haven't yeah, changed yeah. changed already that turn. Yeah, that and that's going to be fascinating to play, isn't it? Maybe a couple of turns where you stay in role and then when you've done what you need to do with that role, switching out of it just to protect it because you've not yet seen Crisis of Identity. I wonder if there's room for you know someone like Elisa Graham just to be looking at your own deck to check when this is coming. So don't well, get wiped out. Yeah, I, I was thinking that as well, or uh, you know, scrying or something like that. Yeah, because it it, yeah. it feels like it could be so crippling at the wrong time and very yeah. easily manageable if you because you you can actually switch to a role if you know it's coming. You can switch to a role where you don't you don't even have any of those cards in your deck. Yeah, or, or switch to neutral. You know, if you haven't got any neutral cards in play. And it might be that you have neutral cards in your deck, the skill cards, but maybe you're an emergency cash, say, but you might not be playing flashlight or knife or cookery. Yeah, that's interesting. That would be, again, we'll have to just play it and find out if defensively that works. I've, I really think there's going to be, the pressure for her is about going to be about ending up in the right role at the right time. Yeah. And I'm sure you can get really punished if you're, if you're just about to fight and then you're switched into a role you don't want to be. That seems but even like it, then, yeah. you can flip back, can't you? Okay, interesting. I, I've said previously, I'm, I'm quite intimidated by Lola. I, I just don't know what I would do with her. So I'm very interested to see what the people come up with uh, when they start building decks. And yeah, I'll be keen to keen to try some decks once I've seen what other people have done. On the Fancy Flight Games forums there was a very interesting thread i'm sorry i can't remember the name of the person but he'd made two lola decks one with a view to being more combat oriented and the other with a view to being more clue oriented so two key advancement aspects of the game and he was sharing them and sort of encouraging discussion they were really they're really interesting and uh it did lead to you know these good thoughts about static boosts being valuable about not wanting to just try and be a jack of all trades because you end up a master of none. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, well, should we jump on and have a look at the other neutral cards in this in this pack? Yes, let's. Which aren't necessarily what people might be hoping for. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, neutral assets, <laughs> zero. Neutral events, <laughs> zero. Neutral skills, also zero. Oh dear, well what does that leave, Frank? That leaves four new basic weaknesses. So if you have Dunwich and you have a core set, we're now up to 20 basic weaknesses, which is the pool for you to choose from. Isn't there only three? Am I, am I counting wrong? There are two copies of one of these. Okay, cool. Can I read the first one? You can. This is the one that there's two of. Okay, 
Awesome. I love the art on this. And Amazing. Love, yeah. So this is Overzealous. It is a basic weakness. It's a floor, and it has Revelation. Draw the top card of the encounter deck. That card gains Surge. And the flavour text is, Don't worry, I have this completely under control. <laughs> and I'm I'm absolutely positive I've literally said that during <laughs> during some of our Arkham games. I and I'm the sort of person who says, Don't say that because this is this is exactly the kind of thing that winds up happening. You draw a beyond the veil that surges into a, something else that surges into a yeah, just horrible. Wow, okay, this is a really interesting one, isn't it? I, I love this. I think it's great. Uh, first of all, just a quick rules question to begin with. Surge is a keyword which is binary, isn't it? So if you give something surge that has surge, it doesn't double surge. It still just surges the normal amount. That's my understanding, yeah. yeah. Okay. Either it has surge or it doesn't. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it's because if you wanted something to surge surge... That could get really tricky where you draw one card that has double surge, then you draw the first surge, and then at that point the first card is now covered by the second, as it were. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it sort of starts to be confusing. So yeah, I think, please obviously write in and tell us if we got that wrong, but pretty sure that you almost want <laughs> you want Overzealous to pull you a surge card just because that part of it gaining surge then would be useless. So, I mean, this is really interesting because what we've seen so far with basic weaknesses is either that they're enemies or that they're normally cards that affect you. They target your resources or your or your health and sanity or they target your hand. And this is, is saying, no, 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 you have to interact more with the encounter deck and draw extra cards. And, and two cards could be pretty crippling, actually, couldn't it? it if it was double ancient evils, that, that's... Oh, God, yeah really nasty if it's a you know an enemy into a frozen in fear or something like that you're yeah you're in a really nasty nasty space it just can lead to you know the encounter deck has all of the its little synergies that it wants to have happen and particularly if you play on a low player count you're avoiding those things happening and this just forces you to give the encounter deck more chances to hit some of those little one two punches and punish you I mean, if it comes at the... This is a card which could really come at the wrong time. Yeah. If you're in a group of... If you've got two players in your group, suddenly you've got four encounter cards to deal with the turn after. If yeah. if it's come up during your, your free draw at the end of your turn. And then you might have had the agenda advancing as well. So, you know, yeah. you could be absolutely knee-deep in, in trouble. Yeah, it could really turn the tables, couldn't it? Yeah. We're going. Yeah, okay. We'll just get through these next two encounter cards, and then we're we're ready to go. And suddenly you're you're dealing with four. Yeah, it it almost has a, to say. You know, some investigators don't can handle the encounter deck better than others. Particularly mystics. You know, if they put drawn to the flame or delve too deep in their deck, they're ready to take on the encounter deck. But if you have overzealous in your deck, it could reach that point where it's it is too much for even the the most encounter deck prepared investigator to handle yeah yeah possibly yeah okay should we move on to the next one let's move on to the next one so this is fittingly for the park to Carco. so this is drawing the sign uh, basic weakness as well it's pact and madness traded revelation put drawing the sign into play in your threat area your maximum hand size is reduced by five while checking your hand size during the upkeep phase Double action, 
discard drawing the sign. This is a familiar format for a weakness card where it's double action to discard it. Yeah. But that, that reduce your hand size by five, that's that seems pretty bad. Yeah. Because you're down to three cards in hand. Yeah. And worth noting that if you draw this in the upkeep phase, the draw a card and gain a resource part of the upkeep phase comes before checking of your hand size and discarding if you're over your hand size. So you draw this card and you've got, say, six cards in hand. Suddenly your hand size is three and you've got to throw three of those cards away. It's especially especially crippling as well if you have a weakness or if there's any kind of treachery card that sticks in your hand. So Dark Memory, for instance. Yeah, wow, so, yeah, good Suddenly shout. you basically got two card hand size. Yeah. If you don't get rid of it straight away, the following turn... Unless you play a card, you're you're then still losing cards. Yeah, yeah, yikes! Is it strictly worse than, strictly better and worse than amnesia? Because I suppose, with a, if you're playing at say six cards in hand and you hit amnesia, you lose five of those cards straight away. And if you were if you were playing with six cards and drawing the sign, you'd only lose three of the cards. I wonder. No, because amnesia doesn't have any ongoing effect. So this, especially if, you, if you're, if you say, a seeker who's running higher education, you're going to want to clear this as soon as possible. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's going to it's going to constantly provide, be, be a thorn in your side. With seeker, you know, after after an amnesia, if you get a higher education, uh, sorry, a cryptic research or a sketches or something like that, you can jump back up in hand size quite quickly. Um, and yeah. Daisy has old book of lore as well. So she's yeah. already like jumping back up hand size the next turn. That's true. That's true. Yeah, I suppose the cost is you discard the cards with drawing the sign and you need to lose two actions to not discard further cards. Yeah. It's a nasty one. It is indeed. It's going to catch catch people out. If you pull this just before a, a big fight as a guardian and you've got your vicious blows in hand and you know all of your sort of combat shenanigans ready to go, yeah, that can be really, really nasty. Okay, should we move on to the last one? Please. So we have the thing that follows. This is uh, it's an enemy, uh, which is always interesting. Oh, so this nice. is Monster Curse. It has three fight, two health, and three evade, which is okay. sort of a bit beefier for... Are they normally three... Do they normally have three threes? Uh, sorry, two threes and a two? Anyway. Um, the Mob Enforcer has a four fight, doesn't Ooh, he? Yeah. But he's a parlayable. So this is it's uh, one damage and one horror. It spawns in the location farthest from you. It has prey, bearer only, and it's a hunter, naturally. I think with the name, the thing that follows, it was always going to be a hunter. Yeah. And it has uh, forced, when the thing that follows will be defeated, instead, shuffle it into its bearer's deck to the ends oh. of the earth and back. So uh, being a huge fan of the horror film, it follows. I absolutely love this. <laughs> yeah. This this treachery, I think it's it's really cool. It's not an insignificant fight. It's not an insignificant evade. But you can just keep running away from it. You can just keep running away from it. And indeed, to a certain extent, you'll have to because every time that you hit it, it's going to just keep popping up again. It's just it's a thorn in one side, isn't it, really? More it is. It else. is, yeah. No, it is a monster as well, which does make a difference with some cards. That's true, right? Uh, Lita gives you a combat bonus against the thing that follows. Yeah, 
I was I was just thinking, does if it bleeds help, but I believe so it says when the thing that follows would be defeated, instead shuffle it into its bearer's deck. And if it bleeds says after defeating a monster enemy, you can play it. Okay. So that would So does the thing that follows not get defeated? That would be my interpretation, yeah. Interesting. Okay. Maybe one to check, but that, that sounds makes sense to me. That stops other when defeated effects as well. So so you wouldn't be able to play an evidence of it either, I believe. Which that also says okay. play after you defeat an enemy. So it some people like having enemies in their decks. Some people really like having extra enemies in their decks because it helps their game plan. But I think that ability makes it slightly harder to capitalise on it, which is an interesting choice, I think. If you're right with that, would be defeated. It also means Roland can't trigger his ability because he's an after you defeat an enemy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's nasty. That is nasty, yeah. I think the thing that I think of as the the comparison here is Rex's curse in terms of this being shuffled back into its bearer's deck ability. And I have had situations where, because Rex can draw aggressively through his deck, the likelihood of the curse coming up becomes so great that the the Rex player just doesn't even try and get rid of the curse. They just try and pass everything twice, which can become really wearing. You might reach this point with the thing that follows where you're almost deciding, like, let's just keep keep evading this guy because then at least it doesn't hunt and it's easier than having a deck of, say, five or six cards knowing that the thing that follows is in there and going to jump out at you at some point. I suppose that's mitigated by the fact that it spawns the location farthest from you. So there are some scenarios that we know of where it spawns somewhere it then couldn't reach you. Yes, very true. Or somewhere just where there are, you know, multiple steps between you and it, in which case you've got a sort of a, a window of three or four turns before it's going to reach you, before you have to think about dealing with it. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that that's a good point, Frank. It, unless you're somewhere where there's there's only one location and it's going to spawn that location, you're, you're always going to get, a, a, yeah, you're always going to get a turn or two's grace with which to get away from it. Yes, yeah. Yeah, because even if you're in a two-location scenario, it spawns not at your location. So, you, yeah, you get that, that small window of it not being in your face to think about what you're going to do. It, even if that means proactively you move to its location and, and kill it or move to its location and evade it, at least you have that that small window of being able to choose what you do rather than it just appearing and you take the damage straight away. Cool. Well, that, that, that's us for the first part of Path to Carcosa, I guess, isn't it? Yes, that is. Tune in for the next few days as we look at the different factions. As ever, if you want to get in touch with us, we're on drawn to the flame podcast at gmail.com. We're drawn to the flame on Twitter. We're drawn to the flame on Facebook. I'm FB on Twitter. That's EPH underscore BEE. Peter, where can people find you? I'm everywhere as Unital, that's U-N-I-T-L-E-D. So, yeah, if you see me somewhere, just say hello. Great. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you.